Welcome back to the Alcohol Tipping Point podcast. I am your host, Deb Maisner. I'm a registered nurse, health coach, and alcohol-free badass. And today on the show, I have a return guest. Now it's her third episode. So it's my friend, Megan, Megan O'Loughlin. She is a mindfulness instructor and a counselor. We know each other from way back, from growing up in Moscow, Idaho, going to high school together and partying together, actually. Fun fact, too, now, small world, Megan's brother is my daughter's high school Spanish teacher. (laughs) I just love that. Anyway, so Megan was on some earlier episodes right when I started. You were on episode five when you were sharing your story of giving up drinking. And then episode 19, when you were talking about mindfulness and how we can use mindfulness to quit drinking. That was such like a great episode, actually re-released it last year. And then today you're on because we're celebrating your five-year sobriversary. Yay. And then it's awesome. Congratulations. And then we're just going to talk about how to find your meaning and purpose and how that kind of comes up a lot when you're in, you've given up alcohol, when you've given up anything, when you're like making some kind of life transition, when your kids have left maybe, or your job has changed or you want your job to change or whatever. That just seems to be like a a common theme. Like how do we find our meaning? How do we find our purpose? So we're going to get into all of that. So welcome back, Megan. Thank you. Thank you, Deb, for having me back. It's great to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So can you give a little update for people who haven't listened to your earlier episodes? It's about who you are, what you do. Yeah, totally. It's actually funny that you said mindfulness instructor because I was like, oh, yeah, I haven't done that for a while because I have people ask me, like, when are you teaching a class again? I'm like, no, I'll probably do it eventually. But I mainly work as a psychotherapist, and I've been doing that for about, I think it's been 12 or 13 years now. And I work primarily with adults, and I help out a lot with challenges with anxiety and issues around like food and body, as well as trauma recovery. And I work a lot with, this has been newer since the pandemic started, with fellow helpers and healthcare providers because the burnout is real, as I'm sure you know, and I'm sure you've witnessed in your line of work as well. And then I've also been doing a lot of creative writing, which I know we're going to be talking about today. Oh, awesome. So you are already doing very meaningful work. Yes, I would say I'm, I, I've been doing meaningful work for a long time. That's been something that has been really important to me, like from the get go, really. But I think really finding a way to feel embodied and content with the work has been a challenge and to really do it in a way that works for me. So that has been a lot of what I've been grappling with. I mean, really since about the time that I stopped drinking. I mean, that's kind of been my jam for the past five years is being like, okay, what exactly am I doing with this? Especially in a field that is just so high burnout and where, you know, there's a lot of really obvious things happening around us right now that demonstrate that like the healthcare system is not working. The mental health care system is not working. So working within a system that's just like actively breaking down is very difficult. So Trying to figure all that out has not been easy and it's going to be an ongoing process. I would, even as I was saying, like, you're, you're already do meaningful work, then I, I felt like I had to catch myself because I think that I get caught up in how do I ha- have meaning and purpose in my life and tie it a lot into what I'm doing, like what your job is or what your work is. And it doesn't always have to be like a caring or giving profession. And like you said, even if you're in that profession, like I'm in nursing, well, actually just left nursing. Mm -hmm. But even if you're in that profession, it's not necessarily always giving you meaning and purpose. Definitely. And that's kind of the classic scenario, right, is that somebody has that kind of helping job and they're like putting all of themselves into it or kind of figuring out just how to cope with all the stress of it. And then there's like nothing left 
for the rest of their life, you know, for family or creative practice or really anything else. Like it, it can really drain people. So yeah, I think it's important to, when we're talking about purpose, that it's not just about our jobs. I think that that's really wrapped up in capitalism and kind of how we've been conditioned to look at things that like we are our professions and we're so much more than that. Well, can you share, because you said you kind of started thinking about what you were doing with your life, especially in these last five years since getting sober. Yeah. Like what, what's been going on with you these last five years? Well, when I, I was pretty freaked out about turning 40. Did you feel that way when you turned 40? It really freaked me out. I was like dirty and 40. It's actually still drinking. I remember one of, I was actually, I was okay with 40. I don't know why, but I was like, I was going to own it. Now when 50 comes, that'll be different. I'm sure. That'll be a different story. But you, you, you were like freaking out at 40. And it wasn't how I would have imagined it. Like, oh, I'm old. I'm, you know, what? I, I can't believe I'm this old. I can't believe I look like this. Like, it wasn't anything like that. It was really about like examining the details of my life and what I was doing and just how I was showing up into my life every day. And so that was a huge, I mean, that was really a huge factor in deciding to just be done with alcohol altogether because I had been really experimenting with not drinking for years. I mean, that had been going on for more years than than I'd just been drinking and not really feeling tortured about it. You know, I think it was probably about 15 years or something that I was like, I'm done. No, okay, now now I'm just going to drink every once in a while. Like just that whole back and forth thing, trying to moderate and then not really being able to do it. So I just, I was like, you know what, this, this is taking up a lot of brain space and effort. And I think at this point, I have enough data to know that it's just going to be easier for me to just not drink at all. I've had plenty of time in my life to be intoxicated. I don't need to do it anymore. So it was like, okay, done with this. And I was going through a lot of job changes as well. At the time, I was a co-owner of a group practice, and I specialized in a type of therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT, which is an awesome therapy. It's also very intense and very structured. And, and what I was finding was I did all this work to get trained in it and to like have this this business with it and train other therapists how to do it. And I was like frustrated with how structured it was because I saw all sorts of situations where it didn't make sense to necessarily follow all of the rules of the evidence-based practice with the particular people I was working with. And I wanted to be more creative and flexible, but I was working within this context that didn't really allow for that. So I was starting to kind of feel, it sort of felt like being a teenager again. Like I felt really grumpy and rebellious. So it's just like, why is DBT telling me to do this? I don't want to do this. This is stupid. And after a while, I was like, okay, I don't have to do this. Like I, I am a grown up. I can make a decision to leave and do something else. So I actually left the group practice and went out on my own. And that was when I started doing a lot of training and mindfulness and teaching mindfulness classes and exploring that realm, as well as just shifting how I was working with my clients and really approaching things in a more like flexible and adaptable way, which felt a lot more comfortable for me. Kind of easy to sum it all up now, but at the time it felt like, I mean, professionally, it felt like going through a divorce or something, you know, it really was like I had a business partnership that we dissolved and it was probably like the healthiest relationship breakup I've ever had, you know, like we're, we're still friends and colleagues and everything, but it was really tough and I, and it was scary because I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was like, everybody knows me. It's this kind of therapist. Every referral I get is for this kind of therapy. Who am I without this? So that was a a lot of it. And then I really just miss, you know, being creative and just having more time for that too. And so 
when space opened up, when I wasn't drinking anymore and I wasn't doing such intense work anymore, I was finding myself like I was drawing again and I was spending a lot of time just like messing around in my garden and just trying to have fun with stuff like that and just getting really like experimental. And that that was a really helpful process to go through. It's so interesting, even being kind of in the same field, but also moving around within it and and changing your identity a bit. Yeah. And yeah, because your original major was art, wasn't it? I think of you as an art. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I was an art major. That was what I did. And and people would be like, what are you going to do with that? That's not very practical. And I was like, it's fine. I'll figure it out. But then when, you know, I was in the real world, it was rather challenging. I actually tried to get into some graduate programs when I was about 25. It was when I was living in Boise, actually, and I saw you sometimes. And I was trying to get into some master's of fine arts programs then for writing and for art, and I didn't get into any of them. So then I decided to go more practical and go into social work. And it was almost like my whole family, like my grandparents and my parents, especially, it was like you could hear this like collective sigh, like, oh, thank God, she's not going to do this like artist thing anymore. She's going to do something that's going to be more practical. But now here you are and you're in a program for creative writing, correct? Yeah, I I am. Yes, yes. I started it almost two years ago, so I'm going to graduate in July. So yeah, the the degree that I wanted to get 20 years ago, I'm getting it now. So that's been a real adventure, to to put it mildly. I I just think it's so inspiring. I I just love it when people pivot, they try something new, or they go back to like what brought them joy or what they really wanted to do when they were a kid before like like you said like there were all these expectations from your family or society of of what what do we do with our lives you know and yeah how do we fit into these different boxes and we stay in these boxes for a while and and even like drinking and drinking culture I feel like that that was a box too and so once you go against the grain of like what society is doing or thinks you should or shouldn't do, then I think you like get some more confidence to go out and do other things. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. It's not as scary. Like once you start to have different experiences of doing that, you realize like, oh, it's actually okay. You know, like I, I know anyone who's not drinking, we all have that experience. Well, now during the pandemic, we didn't really, or during the height of the pandemic is still going on, right? But going out to a social event and being the person who doesn't drink, you know, that was like really aggravating for me for a while. I felt really on the spot. I felt like I had to like explain a lot. I think also when I first stopped drinking, people would assume I was pregnant. And like, now that I'm older, like that doesn't come up. But that was really annoying where it was like, I I don't want to get into all this, you know, about like what, you know, what's going on with me, whether it's like pregnancy or just not wanting to drink. But now like that doesn't bug me at all because I've just had so much exposure to that experience of like being the one person who's sitting there like drinking sparkling water, just like whatever, like I can goof around and play cards too or whatever so yeah I think the more that we know that like we still have a place in the world even if we're doing things differently and especially if the things that we're doing really resonate with what we really care about and what we really value it it just does make it easier to do more and more of that and see the importance of seeking that out you know, here you're celebrating five years, April 1st, and then it's your first yeah. day. So like, what, what has kept you sober these five years as you're reflecting back? It's, you know, these milestones are like a great opportunity for reflection. And I'm really grateful to be here chatting about it. So thank you again. A friend of mine a while ago said that I made it look really easy, that I just kind of like one day was like, not drinking anymore and then just didn't do it and there was no back and forth 
But like I said earlier, you know, there had been years of lead up to that. You know, I'd had a lot of practice with trying to stop drinking and then kind of knowing my own shit that would come up about like, oh, well, you know, I'll just have this glass of wine. Like, it'll be okay. So I was just very familiar with like how I would try to psych myself out and that a lot of it was just really not helpful and really not true either that like it was never just I'm now I'm going to have one glass of wine it would be like well then I'll have more tomorrow and I'll have even more next week so I think just that honesty like that radical honesty with myself and just having it be between me and myself because pretty much everybody in my life has been like it's fine like you, we don't really think you drank too much like it's not a big deal and I'm like, well, this is this is with me. You know, this is a deal that I made with myself. And so I didn't really let other people's messages kind of interfere with that because I wanted it to just stick. And then I think after a while, this has just become normal. Like, I really don't even think about it that much anymore. You know, somebody offers me a drink and I'm just like, mm, or I just go somewhere and I automatically have like my... LaCroix with me or whatever people that I hang out with a lot they kind of know you know like what you know my my mom always has kombucha for me which I really appreciate I think that's really sweet she always has in the fridge she's like stuff is weird but here I got it and I know at this point if I were to have like one drink I would feel horrible like I can't imagine how bad of a headache I would have how it would mess up my sleep and all of that. So I think feeling good has been really important too, that just like, I want to keep that going and I don't want to mess with it. I really don't want to have a bad night's sleep. Like sleep is very precious, but getting more and more precious all the time. So yeah, it's, I just feel like I don't need it. I don't want it. And, and I, I really don't think I'll ever go back to it at this point. I like talking to you because you just, like an ordinary person who just gave up drinking, like you didn't go through some dramatic rock bottom or go to AA or rehab, you, you know, you just obviously you thought about it and put, put some time into taking breaks and making your decision and then did it. Um, but but just it, like you said, in in a way that worked for you and was personal to you. What, what do you, do you call yourself sober or alcohol free or what do you call yourself? Just curious. So I usually just say I don't drink. So I don't necessarily say like I and this, I just say, yeah, I don't drink. And then if somebody else says like, like a little while ago, I was out at, at, at a bar with these other writers and I, and I, and I was like, I'm going to go get a drink. And someone went, aren't you sober? And I was like, I'm getting a Diet Coke. <laughs> But when there's that, like, if somebody else were to say, you know, you're sober or or whatever, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You know, the terminology doesn't really matter. But what I usually say by way of explanation is just, I don't drink. Yeah, you just, you have, like, no drama around. No, and it's very interesting. And I'm sure you have had this and, you know, your listeners have too, that, like, people will assume drama, right? They'll be like, they'll assume that I'm in AA or I'm a recovering alcoholic or whatever. And, and like that very easily could have been me. I mean, I think I definitely have the genetics and the life circumstances where I could have been on that road very easily, but I got like really obsessive about other things in my life instead. So kind of had to sort that out. But yeah, there there's like a lot of assumptions that can go out there. But yeah, for me, there's not really any drama about it. And I really want to like model that to people that like this doesn't need to be. And this I really appreciate your work with this, too. Like this doesn't need to be this black or white thing where either somebody has this like huge problem that's completely ruined their life. And so then they stop drinking or they just kind of drink and like, it's kind of a problem, but they just keep doing it because everybody else does it. That's like, we can make a conscious decision to take some of that time and that energy back into our lives that, that alcohol can take away. 
I really like how you often remind people that like there's a spectrum to all of this. It's not a black or white thing at all. Oh, totally. It's either, well, you can't drink at all. You're either in kind of the sober AA camp where it's like, you can never drink. You're a bad person. This is a moral failing. This is your fault. You know, all of Mm -hmm. that. Or there's people that are kind of like, well, I just, I'm, this isn't serving me anymore. I've reached the tipping point or whatnot. Like alcohol's taking more than it's giving. And I need a way to unwind this habit that I've developed. And so just having a safer way to do that, like take a break or drink less or then get to the point where you're like, I'm not going to drink at all, which is easier for me. And I know, like you said, you've tried moderation for a while. and You're just like, you know what? I'm done. I have enough data that this is no longer serving me and I'm done. And yeah, I mean, you don't have to have a problem with drinking to give up drinking you can give it up because it's shit for your health and up multiple other reasons yeah good well look into helping someone discover their passion what and and i was thinking oh megan's kind of rediscovered her creative writing passion and then Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you've come across some clients who are just like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life or how do I find meaning and purpose? And I know that's like huge topic. It's almost like, I almost feel like I'm asking you like, what's the meaning of life? (laughs) Right. Easy questions, right? Yeah, Yeah, totally easy. Well, I got this piece of advice a few years ago from a friend where they they recommended that I stop doing things alone all the time. And it wasn't that I was like always by myself so much because everything I've done, I've always had like really great like coworkers and friends and colleagues and whatnot. But when it comes to really like sorting out stuff for myself, it had always been this really like internal lonely process where, because I didn't want other people to know that I didn't really know what, what I was doing. You know, I was like, I want, I want this to look like, you know, not, not really consciously, but this was what I was putting out there. Like I want it to look like I've got it all together. I think a lot of us really feel like we have to do that. And it's really scary not to do that. So this friend recommended that you know, what would it be like if I stopped doing that and I just started um, like reaching out to people and letting them know that I was struggling. So especially when I was kind of having an identity crisis about therapy work and, you know, what am I doing and am I going to really do this for the rest of my career? Am I going to be able to do this for the rest of my career? Am I going to get too like frustrated and burn out? And that didn't have anything to do with like my clients. It was really about like working within the systems that were just so frustrating to me all the time. So I just started reaching out and that was really helpful. And so what I did, and I think that this can be a way that that many people can start to sort this stuff out, is I just noticed what I was interested in, like where there was just this little spark of interest. And I was doing this really at the beginning of the pandemic. And so this worked out kind of well because we were all on lockdown. And so I would reach out to like a friend or a coworker and I would and I would say like, hey, I would love to set up like a phone call or like a Zoom meeting to talk about like this training that you did or to talk about, you know, this type of art that you do. And so I just was like chatting with all sorts of people doing cool things and just learning more about it. And sometimes I would be like, okay, well, that's great. I'm glad I know that. But like the spark hasn't really grown. And so I would like look into something else and look into something else. And that was what really got me on the track of pursuing writing as intensely as I have the last couple of years because I reached out to my friend Kelly Sunberg, another Idahoan, who is a beautiful writer and professor of English. And she wrote a really great memoir called Goodbye, Sweet Girl. And I reached out to her and I and I just said, you know, I really think I want to try to write about my career in therapy and the problems I have with like the mental health system and what it's like to work in it. 
And I've tried to find books that talk about that and I haven't been able to find any. So maybe I need to write it. And she actually, I just wanted some suggestions for like books that could help me put all that together. And she actually suggested that I look into a low residency MFA program. And I'd never even heard of programs like that before. I assumed that to get a master's in fine arts in creative writing or in studio art or anything else that you have to actually like move to like Iowa or Michigan or wherever and just like live there and just do the program and nothing else. But there are these programs that are created for people like me who like have careers and families and most of it is distance and you do one or two residencies in person a year and it still is just, you know, great experience. So just reaching out and talking to people has been really helpful. And what has come out from that is like wonderful community. And I think that's a big part of what we're missing in general in our culture right now is like people having community and having folks that we can reach out to and talk to and count on and ask questions about all sorts of things. That feeling of having to figure it all out on your own is a lot of pressure. And I don't think that's the way that we're meant to do any of this at all. Yeah, I was just jotting down. You were saying don't do it alone. The community connection, yeah. reaching out. And what really stood out to me too is is you were being really curious. You're like, maybe I'll go check out this. That's kind of is piquing my interest. And then you were like, maybe not. And then you moved on to the next thing. I mean, that's what's so fun, right? You can just get curious. The one thing I got really curious about was tarantulas. And so I like learned all about tarantulas. Yeah, I I still have two of them. For a while, I had like a lot. And I was like, yeah, I was like raising baby tarantulas and stuff. And I was like, okay, this is like taking up a lot of time in my life. I don't really think this is what I want to do with a lot of my free time. They're, they're very interesting. I really like them. But now I just have two of them. And so that's that's pretty easy to take care of them. But yeah, that was kind of like, okay. And I learned about tarantulas. I can move on from that now and explore something else. Yeah. That, that's a very unusual one. Yes. And it's always like a great, like, icebreaker sort of thing, you know, when you're in a situation where it's like two truths and a lie. Like, I'll say that I have tarantulas and people, people always assume that I'm lying. And I'm like, no, I really do. I love it. I love it. So what are some other ways we can, you know, it still kind of seems tied into like your career or what you're doing. What about people who are retiring or they're transitioning? What are some advice you have for finding meaning or purpose at that stage? I mean, my my search has been very tied up in kind of like what I'm doing, like career wise. And, and I think that has a lot to do with being kind of like at this point, like mid career where it's like, OK, I got to figure this out, like what I'm going to be doing for the next while. But yeah, there's not everybody's going to be in that situation for all sorts of reasons. I even know people who are our age who, you know, what they're they're stay at home parents, you know, so like career stuff is not so much what they're focusing on or people who are older and they're retiring, they're going to be focusing on something else. I think that same idea can still be present. I'm just noticing like what you're interested in, even as far as it has to do with like different hobbies and activities, you know, to just try different things. So often we're trying to like decide everything in our minds and like come to like this conclusion before we actually take any action. And that doesn't, that's really how things work. You know, we really sort things out by doing things. And so I think exploring ideas and then just trying different things, whether that means volunteering somewhere or going along with a friend to do something, just experimenting and having that curiosity and just seeing like where the interest goes and like where the love goes, you know, like if, you, if you're just really feeling like, oh my gosh, I, I think this is so great. I want to learn more about it to really follow that and not get too caught up. I know our minds really like to jump ahead, but if it's like, what does it mean? I know when I started writing, I was like, 
I'll never publish anything. Like I can't publish stuff about therapy because therapists aren't supposed to share about stuff. And it's like, just slow down. You know, like I haven't even sat down to write anything yet. So we got to catch ourselves when we do that, where it's like, what does it mean? Like, I can't afford to do this or just, okay, what would be like one step or half a step? Like what's one thing that I could do to move forward with this? Sometimes that can even be as simple as looking something up online or reaching out to someone you know and asking them a question about something. My aunt, for example, is like the most talented gardener. Her backyard is amazing. And so what she's done in her retirement is a master gardening program. And now I think she teaches in that program and she like helps do landscaping for Habitat for Humanity and then does her own stuff in her yard. And so that's been like a huge pleasure for her to pursue. So, I mean, there's just so many things to look out for. I, I was going to share some prompts that I had found about just finding your purpose and some things to get you thinking about. So one is when I was a child, I loved doing. I love going back to this question because it it just, I mean, when we're kids, we're just like, we're playing. We're just so unencumbered by societal expectations and what we love doing. What did you love doing as a kid, Megan? I loved writing and drawing and I loved swimming and being around animals, just kind of like being in my imagination. So yeah, what about you? See, I always loved writing too. I kept a journal for a long time. It's totally embarrassing, but I do remember for a long time, I was like, I'm going to be a writer. You know, that was always what I love to read. And I love to just like explore, play in the ditches. And <laughs> yeah. Just the 80s those kinds childhood, of just running around. Total 80s childhood. Come home when it gets dark. Totally. I, and listening to music. And was yeah. like, we, I, I think, you know, I try to listen to more and more music now, but that stage of your life, because I really see it with my girls who are teenagers, they're so into music. They have a constant like soundtrack going. Just, it's just, I, there's something about children and music that I feel like mm -hmm. we kind of lose that as we get older. And I'm not sure why, at least that's my experience. Oh, yeah, I agree. I have to really challenge myself to like branch out and find new music. And I often am going back to things that I listened to, like, when I was way younger, you know, and it's like, okay, like, this is a great album, but like, there's other stuff out there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Okay, here's some other prompts. We don't, we don't have to answer them all, but something to get you all thinking about. If money didn't matter, I would be... Although that is a huge one because we we really tie what we do to the money. If I believed I could not fail, I would. I completely lose track of time when I am. I am most happy with who I am when I. I'm really good at. If I didn't care what others thought of me, I would. That's a good one. Yeah. I know some of those stand out a little more to me than yeah. others. It, in my free time, I love to. If I only had six months to live, I would spend my time. And then the following people inspire me because they... And so those prompts just kind of get you thinking like, oh, like if I had six months to live, I would spend my time. What would you do, Megan? I'd probably spend as much time as I could with my family, especially with my daughter. And yeah, and then I'd probably really want to work on my writing too. Yeah. And put something out yeah. there and leave it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and maybe in a different way, like I think I would probably want to be writing for, for my child, you know, kind of like passing things on to her or maybe even she she actually she's eight now. She really likes to read and write as well, which is really fun. Maybe we could do like a project together. Yeah. It just kind of all brings it to 
your you and your family right now and what you're doing right yeah. now and takes away that whole external focus that we kind of get caught up in. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that you said about the, I can't remember exactly what it was, but about like admiring someone else, if you are admiring what somebody else is doing, it makes me think of, and this is something I talk about in therapy every once in a while, like fairly often it comes up about the emotion of envy where we often like dread that feeling of like feeling envy towards somebody else. However, that can be like a really wonderful way to really tune into what we really want. So if if you're feeling envious about somebody because they have a certain kind of relationship or they have a lot of free time or they seem really good at a particular skill, like that is actually highlighting something that is important to you. And it doesn't mean that we have to go to some like nefarious, destructive place with it and be like, I'm going to tear down everything you have. You know, that's what scares us about NBE, I think. It can be more about like revealing what we really care about and what we really want to be doing ourselves. And then, of course, we want to make sure that we're like practicing gratitude and like wishing the other person well so it doesn't get kind of toxic. But I think that's a great thing to look at is just kind of like, who do I know in my life who seems to be doing really cool things? You know, like, and then that could be a person to talk to you about that too. Cause most people love to talk about the stuff that they're interested in and the stuff that they spend a lot of time doing. Like few people are going to be like, oh no, I don't want to talk about that. That, that, I mean, that goes back to you, like reaching out to other people and having community and not doing it alone. Absolutely. Yeah. Like self-help books are great. I know, I know there's a lot of them out there. I've read a lot of them. I know a lot of people read them, but like, this is not the way that we're going to like sort out our lives is by like sitting in a room alone, reading a self-help book, like read some of that and learn some stuff, but then you got to get out in the world and you need to like interact with people. Like that's what we're really meant to do. We are very social creatures. And so we need to have that community around us. That comes up to like when we're like striving for something else or trying to find purpose or meaning is that I just like to remind people you are okay right now. Right now you are enough and you are worth that. This could be extra, but but I want you to recognize like you don't have to change anything in your life to accept who you are and love who you're you are right now. And know that you are 100% worthy right now. You always have been. You always will be. This is just extra. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it kind of goes into like, why do we feel like we need to change things? You know, is it really more about can we offer ourselves compassion and grace? Because a lot of times people are in situations where they don't have, they, they can't go out and explore all this stuff. They might not have the time. They might not have the resources. They might not know how to start. They might be too overwhelmed by anxiety. There's all sorts of barriers that can come up to that. Also, recognizing that we are all worthy in at any time, worthy of acceptance and love and just being present at any time. I have to like do extra work and accomplish extra things to do that. I mean, and even if you're like working on changing your drinking, you, you know, don't don't delay your compassion and contentment with yourself until you get sober. You know, I, I think That's- that happens a lot with a lot of things like, well, once I get that job, then I'll be happy. Or once I leave this job, then I'll be happy. You know, like really also finding ways to be okay now. And you had mentioned gratitude. And I know that in mindfulness as a way to be grateful for the present moment, what you have now. Yeah. What would you add to that? Well, what you're saying, it makes me think of one of my favorite mindfulness books, which is Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn, which I actually was like the first thing I ever read that had anything to do with mindfulness many years ago. And and it was like this huge light bulb went off like, whoa, like a completely different way of looking at things. But yeah, we're really prone. Our, our minds, I think we talked about this another time when I came here to chat with you. Our minds are really skilled at 
tuning into what's difficult mm-hmm. and what's challenging. Like that's we are we have evolved to do that and it helps with our survival. So we have to intentionally do these practices to have gratitude and have compassion for ourselves and others. So I think finding a way to cultivate some kind of practice around that is really helpful because it doesn't come naturally for most of us. What comes naturally for most of us is a lot of ruminating and beating ourselves up um, that and have compassion for ourselves and others. So I think finding a way to cultivate some kind of practice around that is really helpful because it doesn't come naturally for most of us. What comes naturally for most of us is a lot of ruminating and beating ourselves up, that kind of thing. We don't have to do any work to do that, but we do have to do some work to like be okay with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's that some. It could be perceived as a struggle between like, okay, I am content right now and I want to grow, yeah. but how, how can I grow and move ahead and be content now? I mean, of course you can, as I said that out loud, I'm like, well, duh. <laughs> but I guess that's because we have no guarantee about the future, right? We don't know what's going to happen later today or tomorrow. Like this could be it. So, so I always find myself coming back to the present moment, but then also I find, you know, it it is so important to, to grow and to look forward to things and to challenge yourself and to be curious and to have, live by your values. And, you know, that's what's going on in my brain right now. Sometimes I overcomplicate it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't think you're overcomplicating it. I think you're speaking to something that's very true because if we're just like comfortable all the time, we get bored. Like that's another yeah. thing that I think like isn't it's not it's not part of our human nature to just be like, I feel great. Like I, like I watch my dog. I mean, look at him back there. This dude has no worries. He's just like, when are we going to go play fetch? When am I going to eat? I'm like, that is so great that you are like that. You know, humans, we're not like that. So we actually need to be outside of the comfort zone in in different ways. That is actually how we learn and grow. And when we're building that mastery in whatever we're doing, that can help us with our own sense of like confidence in ourselves because we we have these like big brains that are constantly wanting to learn and wanting to do new things. And so a lot of times when people are feeling really stuck, it's because they're maybe kind of doing, and I know this has been my experience, like when I felt stuck, kind of like what I was describing about when I was doing DBT work, it was kind of like, I'm just sort of doing the same thing over and over again. And that's not really like, that's not really helping me feel like I'm growing in the way that I want to grow. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I just think it, it, if we didn't grow, if you didn't start putting your writing out there, if I hadn't started ATP, like if, you know, John Kevitson hadn't written his book and shared that with the world, what would the world be like if we didn't grow? I mean, that's just what we do, right? So I guess it's that balance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, exactly. And it's really normal to, to be like, what am I doing? I'm pretty sure that this is really crappy. And, uh, and that I loved that question about what would I do if I didn't worry about what other people think, you know, cause that often can get in the way of us, like just trying out and pursuing things is that worry that like, we're going to be judged or something. But I think most of us can access that part of us. That's kind of like, you know, just wanting to explore and try new things. Yeah, definitely. Well, what are, what are some other thoughts that you have before we wrapped up about just finding our purpose or meaning and especially for people who are in recovery or they change, they quit drinking mm-hmm. or whatever they call themselves? Well, one thing I was thinking about that I think is really in line with a lot of this conversation is that the ideas of the stages of change that comes from motivational interviewing where and and like 
full disclosure, I did a training on this like over 10 years ago. So like I'm, this is not like something I'm an expert on at all. But I think recognizing these stages of change is really important because a lot of times when we're looking at change, whether it's starting a new project or quitting drinking or whatever, we look at the actual like concrete behavior itself. You know, like, okay, this person drank yesterday and today they don't. But there's this whole process that leads up to that that's really important to acknowledge. So it's kind of like that iceberg metaphor where there's like the tip of the iceberg out of the water and underneath there's that huge mass. And we don't necessarily see that under the water. So there's the stage of pre-contemplation where somebody isn't even thinking about making a change. And they're just like, like I said earlier, gathering data you know, just like accumulating information and observing what's going on that can inform what happens later. And then contemplation where person starts to think about it. I know I used to really look at people who didn't drink and be like, that's cool. Like, that's really interesting. Why did they stop drinking? What are they drinking instead at this party? Like, I was just really curious about it and it started to get my mind going. And then there's preparation. And then we get into action and then we have maintenance of actually like keeping up with whatever the change is. So I think if anybody is looking at moving towards some kind of big change in their lives or even a smaller change to recognize that even just thinking about it or even just hearing something about it and then going about your day like that, those are very worthy parts of the process. Absolutely. It's like you have to go through in a way. You don't, I mean, hindsight 2020, you realize, oh, I, but that's where I was. That's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. And now here I am. I love those kinds of models and things because I just like knowing that it's normal. It's been studied. Like this is normal. Mm-hmm. We all go through this. It can look different for everyone. It's, of course, not like a perfect linear model or whatnot, but it's totally normal and doable. Definitely. And if we can have, because even like that model of motivational interviewing is supposed to be like a way that like someone would communicate with somebody else who's wanting to change. Like we can also interact with ourselves in that way where we can just have all of this openness and curiosity about what we're experiencing and like what we would want to do with that moving forward. So even if somebody out there is like, I think there is something I want to do to find more purpose, it could even just be like, let me just see what strikes my fancy. You know, maybe they will end up collecting tarantulas too. Who knows? (laughs) Probably not. Maybe, (laughs) maybe. Well, I'm curious what you're going to be doing in the future, Megan. What I'm going to be doing, I, I guess... Probably some of the same stuff I'm doing now. I'm planning to keep up with my therapy work um, and keep up with my writing. Like I said, I'm going to graduate in July and then I'll be done with my program. And I'm hoping to just balance my time with doing therapy work and then also doing some writing. My next project. I've been writing so much about secondary trauma and and mental health work. My next project, I want to be very different than that. Like I'm ready to kind of move on from those topics that have been really helpful to write about, but it's been challenging in a lot of ways too. So I want to get into some more like fun research oriented type things. Yeah. And then I, you know, I've been so like immersed in this program. I'm also hoping to like go on some fun trips. We just went and applied for a passport for my daughter. So when that comes through, I think we're going to head up to BC and I'd love to come out to Boise sometime. So yeah, just like living and exploring. Yeah. Nice. Well, how can someone find you? Well, I am on Instagram and on Twitter and my handle is Megan E. O'Loughlin. And I also have a website that has a lot of my therapy-related information that's under meganolachlan.com. Excellent. Well, congratulations on five years and happy birthday. Thank you so, so much. for you. This Thank was you. a good talk. It's going to help people figure out what they want to do, which is kind of fun. Like, make it fun. 
I think that's so important, you know, get get silly and goofy and have some fun. Like, I felt like when I stopped drinking, I didn't really know how to do that anymore because I often associated drinking with like being silly and kind of letting loose. And so that was kind of an exploration of like, oh, I can still like have fun and like find some silliness without drinking. And like, that's often how we like access, you know, like what we're really jazzed about. So yeah, make it fun, make it silly. I love it. Yeah, I I like to say like, I didn't get sober just to get sober. Like I want to go do stuff. I want to explore the world. I want to just like eat it all up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like your sunrise Hawaii pictures. Like, wow. Yeah. yeah it's just, that just makes it so worth it. You know, now having so much more time and bandwidth to just really explore these different things that, we like to do. I mean, so much was taken up by drinking, so much mind yeah. space and time, physically, mentally, all of that. So now it's just like, wow, it's like you get a second chance to really re-explore what you loved when you were a kid and and just do different things and, and do them now. It's great. Yes. Yes. Well, happy day to you, Megan. Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy sober anniversary. And we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for having me, Deb. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point podcast. Please share and review the show so you can help other people too. I want you to know I'm always here for you. So please reach out and talk to me on Instagram at Alcohol Tipping Point and check out my website, alcoholtippingpoint.com for free resources and help. No matter where you are on your drinking journey, I want to encourage you to just keep practicing, keep going. I promise you are not alone and you are worth it. Every day you practice not drinking is a day you can learn from. I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, talk to you next time.